Very good evening to each and every one of you. If you've got your Bibles with you again, please uh, let's turn back to Judges chapter 6. And we're going to continue from where we left off yesterday. Uh, And I'll ask Dean to read uh, verses 29 to 32, please. Judges chapter 6, beginning at verse 29. So they said to one another, who has done this thing? And when they had inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the city said to Joash, Bring out your son, that he may die, because he has torn down the altar of Baal, and because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. If he is a god... Let him plead for himself, because his altar has been torn down. Therefore, on that day, he called him Zerubbabel, saying, Let Baal plead against him, because he has torn down his altar. 27, that Gideon's work for God commenced, uh, not yesterday, on Monday. Uh, Gideon's work for God commenced in his home area. And uh, uh, we learned that everyone is supposed to go back to their homes and start work there. Just like Nehemiah's time, they built a wall just next to their home. Uh, Just like the man of Gadara who was healed, God told him, go home and tell your friends. Then in the next verse, we saw that our God is a jealous God. He will not countenance any other idols. And so before work For God can begin, you need to remove the idols. And Gideon was instructed to go and remove Baal because our God demands our undivided attention. And now we see here uh, in verse 29, it starts by saying, who had done this thing? The men of the city woke up early in the morning. They come and see the statues have been broken down. Who had done this thing? Gideon's first exploits began with instant opposition. When you're going to do something for God, expect that there will be opposition. The men of the city, they were fanatical in their support for Baal. And that is why we see in verse 28 that they woke up early in the morning. And then these enraged worshippers, you see them demanding Gideon's head. And amazingly, his father is the one who jumps to his uh, rescue. In verse 30, uh, 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 they ask uh, who has done this thing in verse 29. And in verse 31... Uh, and Joash said to all those that uh, stood against him. Now, if you notice back in verse 25, the altar of Baal that thy father had. So the very man that had the altar of Baal was now standing up for Gideon, his son. You see... Uh, uh, Yesterday, or day before yesterday, we saw that 
we should never give up on anyone. And Gideon, when he started working for God, God took care of the opposition. Uh, Gideon's obedience to God paid immediate dividend. So expect opposition if you start a life of devotion and service to God. Uh, Remember that uh, when the 12 tribes of Israel united under David, the very first time that they united, Israel and Judah came together, immediately the Philistines attacked. They came together, they were united, immediately in 2 Samuel chapter 5, we see that the Philistines attacked. When the Lord was beginning his public ministry, there was instant opposition from the devil. Matthew chapter 4. You remember how Satan wanted to test the Lord? He had been quiet all those years when the Lord Jesus Christ wasn't doing much. But as soon as he started his public ministry, then Satan got activated. So, uh, you will not be exempt from uh, resistance to your work for God, but be like these others. Press on, despite all Satan's efforts to derail you. Now, Brother Dean, could you read verses 33 to 35, please? Verse 33. Then all the Midianites and Amalekites The people of the east gathered together, and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Then he blew the trumpet, and the Abysseites gathered behind him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also gathered behind him. He also sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they came up to meet them. In verse 33, we see that the massed armies of Midian, Amalek, and their confederates, they were intimidating Israel once again. But now, God had a man who was, uh, he had reserved for himself to meet this threat. You see, this man would need divine power. So, it says in verse 34 that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. You see, this was a frequent occurrence in Old Testament times. Uh, But as far as we are concerned, the Holy Spirit came to indwell us the day we accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. So, uh, we can depend on Him without fear because He is always within us. Now, In verse 34, I would like you to notice this, that when Gideon blew the trumpet to marshal his army, there was an immediate response, and it is from his own area. Gideon and his father were from Abizair, and from his own tribe of Manasseh, they were the ones that first came forward when he blew the trumpet. You see, the point is this. He had the support of the people who knew him best. Timothy, he also commanded 
the support of those who knew him best. In Acts chapter 16 verse 2, it says that Timothy was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. You see, be like this. This is the point. Do everything in your power to be held in high esteem by the believers that you mix with. Obviously, Gideon must have been held in high regard because when he blew the trumpet, it was those from his own tribe, those from his own village that answered the call first. So obviously, he must have been an honorable man, a man of good report, and so when he called, the people came. It is very important for us as well to have a good reputation among those that we mix with. Only then, when we say something, when we witness, when we uh, ask for something, that we will find a response. So, uh, uh, respect can be earned by godly living, a kindly disposition, zealous service for God, and devotion to Christ. That is how you earn the respect of people around you. And uh, if you gain that respect, then uh, you will have support for yourself when you take on a venture for Christ. Just like Gideon had his own people solidly behind him. Now, I'm moving on very quickly because um, uh, we've only reached the middle of uh, chapter 6 and uh, Gideon's story goes right through to the end of chapter 8. So uh, I'm going to ask Brother uh, Dean again to read verses 36 to 40. Verse 36. So Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only, and if it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so when he rose early the next morning and he squeezed the fleece together. He wrung the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, less once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, but on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was no dew on the ground. This portion is very famous in that reference is often made to it by believers who are in some dilemma. You don't know what to do. Uh, Should I go this way or should I go that way? And they speak about putting on a fleece. Um, And what that means is that if such a thing happens, then I will do this. And if that doesn't happen, then I won't do it. I think we all understand exactly what that is. And as far as Gideon is concerned, there should have been no need for him to put out a fleece to test God. You see, if you look at chapter 6, verse 14, we saw it there first. God says, Thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. In chapter 6, verse 16, again, God says, 
Thou shalt slay the Midianites as one man. But here, Gideon seems racked with doubts. Uh, and so he is saying to God, uh, look at verse 36. If thou wilt save Israel, what is the word if doing there? If. God has already told him, I will do it. So there is no need for Gideon to use that word if. You see, uh, God's promises can be relied on. Um, In Titus chapter 1 verse 2, we are told that God cannot lie. Um, In Hebrews chapter 6 verse 18, it says it is impossible for God to lie. So, do we need some miraculous evidence that uh, God can keep his word? No. But Gideon constantly needed to be reminded that God was on his side. And so, uh, here he is looking for some kind of uh, um, assurance from God. Now, Hezekiah, he had the same reservation as Gideon. God had promised Hezekiah that he would heal him from his illnesses. And uh, God had promised him that after healing him from his illness, that Hezekiah would have another 15 years of his life. But we see in 2 Kings chapter 20 verse 8, Hezekiah says, What shall be the sign that the Lord will heal me? After God had told him that he would heal him. So, uh, it is unnecessary for us to doubt God when he has given us his word. Now, there are one or two lessons that we can learn from Gideon's experience here. Firstly, it is that God is very patient with his people. Isn't he so patient with us? Over over and over again, we have doubts. Over and over again, the promises are there, but we don't think the promises apply to us. These questions come in our mind, isn't it? And over and over again, our God is patient with us. Then, uh, uh, we have all acknowledged that he has dealt kindly with us, even through all these doubts and fears. Uh, And here he responds to Gideon so generously. So, uh, uh, let us be less demanding than Gideon, willingly taking God at face value, and let us happily comply with his commands. Another lesson that we can learn from this is that once God has already spoken, there is no need for us to seek his guidance. You see, no one needs to put on a fleece whether they should be baptized or not. Isn't that right? Because we are given very clear instructions. It is a command from the Lord and that should be obeyed. So we do not need any guidance about whether that should take place or not. In New Testament times, people were baptized immediately as they were saved. No believer needs to put on a fleece whether or not they should be, for example, married to an unconverted person. God's word is crystal clear about that. 
2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So, on any issue, when the Bible teaching is clear, there is no need for us to doubt. Now, Brother Dean, if you don't mind, please, reading. Uh, moving on again very quickly. Uh, chapter 7, verses 1 to 3. Judges chapter 7, verse 1. Then Zerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early in the morning and encamped beside the well of Harad, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 people returned, and the 10,000 remained. Gideon's misgivings now, or his doubts, were behind him. We see in chapter 7, verse 1. And with remarkable zeal here, you notice that now he is waking up early in the morning. And he gets to work. Uh, you see, the secretive way that he started working for God also is a thing of the past. If you look at the previous chapter, chapter 6, verse 27, right at the end of it, you see that he did the work by night. But now, he is doing it in the daytime. He was no more afraid. And then... Uh, you remember Joseph of Arimathea. He used to be a secret disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. But like Joseph of Arimathea, he emerged openly for God when the Lord Jesus Christ died. It's almost as if um, someone going up to the president and saying, after 9-11, I'm a supporter of this man, uh, one of the terrorists who has died could I have his body? Nobody would identify themselves with the terrorists, would they? And so just imagine Joseph of Arimathea. Here everyone has just put the Lord Jesus Christ to death. But he openly emerges and goes and identifies himself as a supporter of the Lord Jesus Christ by asking for his body. So Gideon now is openly working for God. No more having to work in the night. No more doubts. So, put your fears behind you, just like these men of ancient times. Let us be bold for Christ. Let us do exploits for Him. Abraham, he rose up early in the morning to worship. Uh, Joshua, he rose up early in the morning to walk. But Gideon... He rose up early to go to war. Apply these things to your Christian experience. Now, in verse 1 of chapter 7, uh, after it says he rose up early, the next thing it tells us is that he pitched beside the well of Herod. He pitched beside the well of Herod. You see, Gideon's wisdom can be seen 
in his choice of location of the camp that he chose for his army. Why did he choose to pitch beside the well of Herod? Well, it's very simple. From a practical point of view, the army needs a constant supply of water because you have to water the men, otherwise they will go dry. So, let us learn this lesson. Spiritual warfare requires a constant supply of the word of God, of which water is often a symbol of the word of God. You see, we dare not engage with the enemy without tapping into the uh, reserves of spiritual refreshment that is available to us in the word of God. How can we go out into the world and face the enemy if we are not studying the Bible, if we are not reading the word of God, if we are not meditating on the word of God? It should be a priority in our daily lives. In, could you turn with me, please, in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 3. I wish to point out something to you here. 2 Kings chapter 3 and verse 9. In here, we see that the combined army of Israel and Judah, they were in danger of losing because in verse 9 it tells us that there was no water for the army. So, how did these people get the combined army of Judah and Israel? How did they find the water? Well, in verse 16, it tells us that uh, the Lord told them uh, to dig the valley full of ditches. You see? Do you see that in verse 16? And then in uh, verse 17, you can see that uh, so that they can get water that they may drink. You see, digging ditches under divine direction was the solution to the problem here. But make sure that you are constantly digging ditches by reading and meditating on scripture. And only then you will be in a position to face the adversary. Dig into the word of God. Then you will get the water that you need to refresh yourself, to supply yourself for the daily problems that you face in life. Just like an army needs water, to face to the battles ahead, you will not be able to face life's challenges if you do not have the word of God behind you. You will feel empty. You will feel weak. You will have that... Uh, 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 you will be facing an uncertain future if you don't keep hold of the word of God. Spiritual dehydration will leave you vulnerable. Next, I noticed that uh, Gideon had an army of 32,000 men. In verse uh, 3, um, 20, uh, Gideon's army consisted of 32,000 men 
uh, of which 22,000 we see are self-confessed cowards. Uh, okay, uh, whoever is in verse three, whoever is fearful and afraid, let him depart and return uh, from the Mount Gilead. And then there was uh, 22,000 that took up that offer. You see, these people uh, that are with thee are far too many for me, the Lord Jesus says in verse 2. Do you see the words? They are far too many for me. God thought that this great number that Gideon had assembled was far too many for him. Why did God only want a small army? Why did he want just a few people to represent him? Well, do you know that there are six or seven things that God hates? And in those things, therein lies the answer. Uh, If you don't mind, please, turning with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 6. Anybody can tell me what is it that God hates? Very good. Okay, let's have a look at it. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. And it says here, Proverbs 6.16, These six things that the Lord hate, yet seven are an abomination to him. So, here we go. Verse 17. First thing, he hates a proud look. Second thing, he hates a lying tongue. Third, he hates a hand that sheds innocent blood. Fourth, God hates a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. Fifth, he hates feet that be swift in running to mischief. Sixth, he hates a false witness that speaketh lies. And seventh, he hates he that soweth discord among brethren. What is number one on this list that God hates? It's pride, a proud look. You see, God hates pride. And it says here that he was aware that of the pride of the human heart. God knew that if the battle was won by 32,000 men, that they would take credit for themselves. Look at verse 2. Look at verse 2. He uses the words there, want themselves. They would have wanted themselves. That means they would have taken personal credit. They would have pushed themselves up. So, pride is an abomination to God. It is the sin that ruined Uzziah. Pride and a haughty disposition, that is what led to the fall. Peter would have acknowledged that that is what led to Peter's own downfall. And so to remove this pride or to get over this hurdle, God decided to whittle down Gideon's army to 300 men. So, how did he go about doing it? 
the first thing he did was that he removed the 22,000 that were apprehensive. He removed the 22,000 that had doubts in their heart. You see, apart from reducing the army, there was another reason for this. In Deuteronomy 20, verse 8, it tells us, Lest his brethren's heart faint as well as his heart. You see, the reason is that fear and pessimism, they are infectious. If one person has it, he will go speaking and spread it to the next person. And then, uh, you remember, the ten spies. What did they, what happened when they came back and reported what they found in the land of Canaan. Do you remember that? Numbers 14, verse 1. After they gave their report, it says that all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. After the ten spies had given the negative report, it drove the people to weeping. They were up all night crying. You see, Never spread gloom among the people of God. Because that removes their trust in the living God. Isn't that right? So that is the reason why God wanted the 22,000 removed. Because anyway, they were doubtful people. Because he says in verse 3, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him return. And these 22,000, they volunteered to go back. So obviously they had doubts in their heart. And if they had doubts in their heart, they would have influenced the person next to them. And the person next to them. And then soon, that infection would have spread. So God does not want people, He does not want doubtful people. He doesn't want people who are not trusting in Him, have no faith. So my brother, my sister, your lack of faith could infect the whole assembly. So don't go around spreading that infection among others. Never spread gloom among the people of God. Always talk positively. With God, we can achieve great things. Do not rob the people of their trust in the living God. And so... um, from verses 4 to 9, uh, we have the, the water test and how this reduces the army down to 300 people. Um, now, this has been spoken on probably many times over, so I'll leave that out uh, so that we can move on a little quicker. Uh, I'll ask uh, Brother Dean to read from verses 9 to 16, please. Verse 9. It happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. But if you were afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Purah, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterward, your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Purah, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. Now the Midianites and the Amalekites all the people of the east were lying in the, in the valley as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number. 
as the sand by the seashore in multitude. And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. He said, I have a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned and the tent collapsed. Then his companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. And, it was, and so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. Then he divided the three hundred men into three companies, and he put a trumpet into every man's hand with empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers. Now, in uh, verse 10, it is evident uh, that in the new circumstances of this shrunken army, when Gideon's army came down to 300 people, he began to have doubts again. God had no doubts. But 300 people, uh, (laughs) can we really do it? So, uh, in verse 10, we see that um, uh, God tells him that, If thou fear, take your servant and go down and visit the opposition army. You see, God was very, very gracious to him. And he ministered encouragement to his servant. See, what a patient God that we worship. Uh, You see, from God's standpoint, it was as good as done. The battle was already won. But it was man's doubt. In similar times, in another occasion, God encouraged Paul when he was at Corinth. In Acts chapter 18, verses 9 and 10, you will see these words. He tells him, I have much people in this city. The reason why? Paul was having doubts. So, uh, these people had still to be won. People like Gideon and Paul. And God was willing to give them every bit of encouragement they need. You see, if only we would see things from God's point of view, we would save ourselves all the heartache, all the anxiety that life brings to us. Just believe him the first time and you will not have that uh, anxiety. Now, Gideon took advantage of God's offer and with his servant, uh, Fura, he ventured to the perimeter of the Midianite camp. And once more, scripture emphasizes to us just how big the opposition was. In verse 12, you see it. The army of the Midianites was like grasshoppers for multitude. A huge number. And yet, in all that grasshoppers of an army, there was one man that God had prepared to encourage Gideon. One man who had a dream, and just at the place, you know, it would have been a massive camp, and... uh, Gideon wouldn't have known which side of the camp to walk to, but just at the point of the edge of the camp that Gideon walked to, there was a man telling his dream out. You see, with God, 
there is no such thing as coincidences. His timing is absolutely perfect. Do you remember that uh, Rebecca came to the well just as Abraham's servant arrived? Do you think that was a coincidence? Do you remember Philip? How he came upon the Ethiopian eunuch just as he was reading Isaiah 53. Was that a coincidence? You see, and here Gideon is going to the edge of the, Philist, uh, of the Midian army and there is a man telling a dream which has a message for Gideon. That wasn't a coincidence. It was divine intervention. So, God has perfect timing in everything. Let us be content with God's perfect timing and let us not venture ahead or lag, lag behind. Let us not be impatient or push on with our own timing. Let us wait for God's perfect timing for us. Now, the dream uh, involved, um, in fact, I'll skip this over, uh, uh, it says here that as part of the dream, I will leave out the bits about uh, the cake and the barley, but it says here in verse 14, the man who is recounting the dream to another soldier, he says, and his fellow answered and said, this is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. So, uh, Gideon was held in awe by the Midianites. The point is this. He comes up to the edge of the camp. The man in the camp is talking about Gideon. What does that tell us? That he was known to the enemy. He was known to the enemy. Uh, Acts chapter 19 Verse 15. This is a very, very encouraging verse. It tells us there that at Ephesus, that there was a demon-possessed man. And that demon-possessed man, when he was talking, he said, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? You see, the demons knew who Jesus was. The demons knew who Paul was. Why did they know these people? Because these people were actively doing a work for God. They were causing trouble for the satanic horse. So the opposition knows people who are actively working for God. The Midianite army, they knew who Gideon was. They were talking about him in their dreams. You see, my brother, my sister, these names are well-known names in the ranks of the devil. Perhaps we have lived a life so quietly and unobtrusively that the enemy has hardly noticed us and maybe our names go unmentioned among the enemy. Is that so with your name? Does Satan know your name? Are you a threat to him? Is your name well known? 
so that he would mention your name, just like these others' names that he's mentioned in Acts chapter 19. Jesus I know. Paul I know. Would he say your name as well? Let us be those who lead an active Christian life, active service for God, so that Satan knows who we are. Just like the hosts of Midian, they knew whom uh, Gideon was. So, all you have to do is godly conduct, earnest labor, living a life for Christ, and you will attract Satan's attention. The devil will know all about you. Gideon was well known among the God of hosts, among the satanic hosts. Now, in verse 15, we see that this dream was given so that Gideon will get confidence. And so, when Gideon hears the Midianite, army person talking that he's going to lose to a great man called Gideon, Gideon got confidence. God had provided him with the confidence that he needs. So what did he do, Gideon? When, uh, verse 15, And it was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof that he worshipped. He worshipped. You see, Hearing the dream and its interpretation, it drove Gideon to his knees and it instilled confidence into his anxious heart. You see, this is the point that I wish to convey. Seeing God at work should always promote a spirit of worship and thanksgiving in our heart. Whenever you see God working in your life, immediately you should be driven to worship and thank Him. He does so many things for us every day of the week. Isn't that right? How many things that we can thank Him for. But sometimes we take the good and sometimes we even give ourselves a little credit as well. We are all guilty of that, aren't we? But let us remember that each time God does something wonderful in our life, let us be like Gideon. Immediately, verse 15, he worshipped. Let us be thankful people. You see, in Genesis uh, 24, verse 26, it tells us about Abraham's servant. When he saw the hand of God, what did he do? The man bowed down his head and he worshipped the Lord. And then in the New Testament, what does it tell us? 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18. It tells us that in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So, you see, to neglect worship, uh, this grieves the heart of our God. It is a, a feature of the ungodly people that they do not worship God. You see, Romans 1, 21 tells us, Romans 1, verse 21, tells us that they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. The ungodly people, they do not thank God, neither are they grateful to God. They glorified him not as God, 
neither were they thankful. You see, the Father seeks worshippers. Let us never disappoint him on that. On every occasion, when he does good thing in our life, when he does a miracle, when he does something positive, let us be like Gideon, driven immediately to our knees and worship him. God gave Gideon a new sense of confidence when he heard the uh, dream of the Midianite army person. Immediately, he worshipped God. Now, my time is up. In uh, verse 16, um, we see that he divided the 300 men into three companies. And it tells us about his equipment. Now, there's a whole study that can be done on this, um, that he put a trumpet in every man's hand, the pitcher and the lamp. Gideon had no sophisticated weapons with which to face the foe. And three things were placed in his hands. And there's a lesson to be learned from each of these three things. Firstly, the trumpet. Secondly, the pitcher. Um, in uh, 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 3, it reverts to us as empty vessels. Paul likens us to earthen vessels, weak, fragile, and mortal. And in 2 Timothy 2, verse 21, it stresses on the fact that uh, whatever the composition, vessels are only usable if they are clean. Let us learn then that even though we are weak, that if we are controlled by the Holy Spirit, if we are uh, sanctified in a practical way, if we are clean vessels, we can be used uh, for God. And then, of course, there is the picture, but uh, my time is up. We don't have time to go through it. Uh, perhaps uh, if the Lord wills, uh, uh, the next time I uh, come to visit you, uh, perhaps I will continue onwards from uh, verse 16. So, just to recap, that Gideon's work for God commenced in his home area, that he's a jealous God, he wanted the, all the idols to be removed first. When Gideon started his first work for God, he met with instant opposition. Gideon's work for God, when he started, it paid immediate dividends in that his father started believing. And then expect opposition if you start a life of devotion and service for God. And then remember the next point that we saw was that when Gideon blew the trumpet to marshal the army, there was an immediate response from his own home village and his own home tribe. That means that he was well reported of. He commanded the respect of his own people. Let us be like that. Let us command the respect of our, uh, the people that are nearest and dearest to us. And then uh, we learned that God is patient with his people. Let us take God at his word. And then uh, we saw that the, the wisdom of Gideon in going and uh, uh, rising up early in the morning and starting a work for God. And then he was open in his work. He did not work in the dark anymore like Joseph of Arimathea. He was open in his faith and belief and in what he was doing. And then remember that Gideon went and planted the army next to the well of Herod. Why? Because he needed water. Let us constantly dig the word of God 
to get water for our souls. And then remember the reason why God wanted the army down to a small number. It was because pride. He did not want people to want for themselves. So let us remove pride from our life. Also, he wanted those 22,000 removed because he did not want these doubters to spread doom and gloom in the army. Never spread gloom among God's people or allow them to rob their trust in the living God. And then uh, we saw that there was no such thing as coincidences. When Gideon went to the edge of the army, God had prepared a man to tell a dream there. And then next we saw that Gideon was held in awe by the Midianites. He was known to the enemy. Let us live lives where satanic hosts, they know all about us. They know us by name. Don't live a life where you're so quiet and your Christian testimony is so hidden that the satanic hosts don't know what you are doing. And then remember that as soon as he saw the dream, Gideon was driven to worship God. Seeing God at work should always promote us uh, to a spirit of worship and thanksgiving. Now, I don't confess to being a preacher or um, um, <clears throat> someone who knows the Bible uh, well, but I have sought to uh, explain the word of God as best as I could, and I trust that these uh, words were helpful to us, myself and yourself, and I thank our brother Edel for the opportunity to come and to share the word of God with you, and I also thank you once again for the gift of the commentaries that uh, you gave me that was greatly, uh, has greatly helped me in my study of the word of God. I'll ask our brother Dean to close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you brought our brother Rajiv all the way from Sri Lanka to minister your word to our hearts. We thank you for our dear brother and his wife, Sandrine and, and Nathan and Kazia, his uh, daughter and son. And we thank you for his mom also. We thank you for all the brethren that are serving with him there, the elders and the servants of God. We thank you for the work that's going on those hundreds and thousands of miles away. We pray for them, Lord, that you will use them and bring souls to be saved there and encourage the believers. And we thank you that you've equipped Rajiv and you've given him a wonderful ministry. And we thank you that we've had good fellowship with him and we will through Sunday as well. And we just thank you for this dear brother that has brought insight from your word. And we thank you for the conviction of your word. We thank you for the encouragement of your word, for the comfort of your word. Help us, Lord, to have faith, not to doubt. Help us to be victorious. Help us like Gideon, Lord, to humbly and faithfully trust you and that you will deliver us and that you will do miracles through us, Lord. And we pray that you will defeat the devil and all his schemes as he plots against your church and against your people. Lord, we just want to thank you for this evening, for this Bible study, for our fellowship together. Please take us home safely. Peace be with Sylvia as she brings the message for the women tomorrow and also for the men's luncheon. Uh, pray for the Friday groups and pray that you'll be with our brother Randy White as he'll be our speaker on Sunday. So, Father, we just thank you for all that you've done. We give you all the glory and praise for this evening in Jesus' precious name. Amen.